All right. Again, so glad that you're here with us. Find your seats. There'll be an opportunity after the service to grab some coffee and continue those conversations. Yeah, it's been a few weeks since I've preached, so I'm glad to be with you. And I have titled the message this morning, Humility Again. I think Christians, you know, there's a lot of things that are trying to form us, and many of those things are not the way of Christ. As Brandon so well put, humility is is paramount, and um, so we want to invite the scriptures to strengthen us according to what God wants of us and God's way in the, you know, the perilous times that we live, um, which I suppose every time is perilous, but we have some pretty unique challenges that we're all facing in our individual lives and then in our life together as a, as a society. So would you stand with me and we'll read the scripture as is our custom We're going to read James 4, 6 through 10. All together, ready, go. But he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, we are building a relationship with uh, church planter Gary Bolton in Northern Ireland. And I encourage you, find out as much as you can about Northern Ireland. It is a fascinating place in the world. You may recall, those of you who have, you know, been around for more than 20 years or so, (laughs) you might recall what is euphemistically called the Troubles. And the Troubles um, were a 30-year sectarian conflict between Irish Catholics and Irish Protestants, the Protestants who were sided with with Britain, and the conflict was all about who should control Northern Ireland. The Catholics wanted to unite and still want to unite with the Republic of Ireland. Um, The Protestants generally want to remain loyal and a part of the UK, as it is right now. Northern Ireland is a part of the United Kingdom. Through mostly terroristic guerrilla warfare, thousands died in shootings and bombings during that 30-year span. There was at least 10,000 bomb attacks during that time. So my daughter, Jenna, and I got to spend seven days with Gary Bolton and his family. And while there wasn't, hasn't been much violence since 1998 when they both sides signed the Good Friday peace agreements, um, the divides still remain. Um, and it's, it's striking. And maybe a bit of a, a warning for us. As I traveled around, I was struck over and over with how much destruction was done by people trying to control the future of their land and their world. What is so sad is that the name of Jesus is widely known in that land to to both. Both the Protestants and the Catholics obviously have access to the scriptures that would have led them away from violence and this mutual destruction 
path that they chose to take for, for a long time. Um, the evidences and the realities of divides still remain. For example, there's this mural. There's murals all over the city of Belfast and the city of, of Derry. Um, and these murals in various neighborhoods are, are communicating something of the, the heart of the neighborhood, what, what they want to remember or what they want to say. And this particular neighborhood is a Protestant neighborhood. And um, the... Uh, uh, the mural here, you, I don't know if you can read that, but it says, we seek nothing but the elementary right implanted in every man, the right, if you are attacked, to defend yourself. And you see these UDA fighters, the Ulster Defense Alliance. This is a paramilitary organization that worked alongside British forces to repel the IRA that you've probably heard of, the Irish Republican Army. So still there, just a couple blocks away, is all Catholics. And they drive by this every day. So in other words, the divide is still there. And it's festering. I went to learn, to absorb, to gain a bigger understanding. Because I think God is up to something in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. It's the thing that God has been up to and is up to in every land that is so fractured by divides and fractured by opposing ways of seeing the way the world should be or how things should be done. I think that every Christian, we are called into the ministry of reconciliation, which is, is founded in the way of Jesus, which is founded in the way of humility towards one another. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. We're familiar with some of these verses, um, but I want you to capture that, that we are called ministers of reconciliation. So if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, there's a new creation. Praise God. Everything old has passed away. Amen. See, everything has become new. Yes, all this is from God who reconciled us through Christ. There was a divide between us and God, but God has reconciled us by the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and he's given us, Paul's referring to himself, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. In Christ, there's this impulse to reconcile those things that have been otherwise would divide us and would cause for us to do what the world has always done, and that is to kill each other um, and to divide against each other. We cannot reconcile on the terms of the world. This is not just a general idea of like, oh, let's just be peaceful and get along. But in Christ, we can be reconciled together. We become bridge builders God crossed over into our world with love, and so we extend that love to others. And this is the work that Gary and his wife Catherine have been doing in Northern Ireland. Ten years ago, they planted a church called Journey Church right in the middle of a neighborhoods, or right in the middle of a Catholic neighborhood and a Protestant neighborhood. Got to be there with their church family and his worship leader, just amazing worship leader, comes out of the Catholic side. Gary himself comes out of the Protestant side, and God is uniting and healing through that ministry, and God wants to continue to do that. So Gary is stepping down from the lead pastor position at his church, handing that over. He's going to mention that in a video here. And he is moving in the direction of church planting, these hubs of kingdom, Jesus reconciliation to be planted in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland itself. I asked him to give us a little update, and so he sent this video to us last week. Take a look. 
Hello New Hope Foursquare Church. It's Gary here and you can see that I'm now an Oregon Ducks fan. And I'm Catherine, his wife. And it was fantastic to be with you in Oregon recently with my two daughters, Grace and Esther. We had a fantastic time. And my daughters are still talking about New Hope Church and how much they love it. So we just count it such a privilege to have you now as friends. And it was really special for us to have um, Isaac and his daughter Jenna over here visiting us in Northern Ireland. Um, it was a great time had and we had some, some fun and fellowship and a lot of laughs. Yes, we really appreciate your ongoing prayers and support. Could we ask you to continue to pray for us as we enter the final few months of my role as lead pastor in the Journey Church. We've been there for 10 years, it's a long time. Uh, the transition has been really healthy and the Lord has provided a new lead pastor, which is fantastic. So please pray that that will continue to be a healthy tra transition in the final few months. We're in uh, support raising mode at the moment. We're developing partners in the US with churches and individuals. So we would ask you to continue to pray. Our goal is to reach all our uh, financial targets and raise our prayer support by the end of this year. Yes, so thank you so much for your interest in what we are doing here. Um, and thank you for your love and your support. God bless. Praise God. Lord, we do just pray a blessing over them right now. Strengthen them and provide for all of their needs as they continue to be about the business of creating um, churches, hubs of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it's, it's interesting to learn about this other culture um, and the sectarian violence of Northern Ireland and Gary and I have talked together about this kingdom bridge between the U.S. and Ireland. We've talked about how it's a two-way bridge. And one of the things for us to observe and to learn is uh, to, for us to be aware of the seeds of sectarian divides that are increasing within our culture. And for the Christian to recognize afresh the posture that we must take in such times as these. We need to think soberly about our own culture when we learn, and I encourage you to learn a lot about Northern Ireland. The temptation towards resentment of the other lurks all the time. And I don't have to convince you of that. Um, it wants to tear us apart. In recent years, the polarization within our culture is getting really large, and even now in our culture, paramilitary organizations being built. The resentment is leading to violence. So it's been the temptation and tendency for all time for humans to, to stake out their own legitimacy. You know, the fall of Adam and Eve, they sought to know like God. And this happens over and over again. In other words, it's pride. Every generation must wrestle with our own age, with our own culture, with our own society, and wrestle with the temptation to attempt to take the future of the world into our hands to control. But the kingdom of God, as we're, as we're called into the kingdom of God, as Paul said, the old has gone, the new has come. The old way of this kind of taking control of our lives and being in control of it has gone, the new has come. We're a new creation in Christ, and we take up his way. And a part of one of the metaphors the scriptures use for us is to understand that we are translated into the kingdom of Jesus. 
And the kingdom of Jesus, or the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the heavens, is an upside-down kingdom. It operates differently than the way the kingdoms of this world operate. It is, for us, counterintuitive, because all of us have been steeped in a kingdom way that is not the kingdom of Jesus. Our world orients us towards a way of control. So I'd like you to think about how much we really have control of in our life. Does anyone have like a thermostat at home? It's like one of those Nest thermostats that you can, like on your phone, you can right now, if you wanted to lower the temperature of your house, you could do that. Can you, uh, can you imagine like 50 years ago suggesting that to somebody? Or 100 years ago. I mean, it is amazing. We're like, okay, I don't want that house to be 77 degrees when I get home. So I'm going to click three buttons, and the temperature will start to lower. Now, you know, or like the two sides of the car, like her side is 74 degrees, and his side is 70 degrees. Does that actually work for anybody? Does that actually work? It does. That is amazing, because there's no wall between you. I don't know what kind of voodoo magic that is. But think about how, I mean, it's, it's, it's small. But think about how that teaches us to think about the world. We implicitly start to think that we can kind of control things. And if we can't control it yet, soon we will be able to. Small examples, but I think there's implications. If we don't have to be subjected to uncomfortable heat, perhaps we might start to think that we can take control of other things. We don't even know that we think this way, but we tend to think about controlling the world on our own terms, according to our own desires. Because we live in this era of astounding technology, again, the world starts to feel controllable. And this can mislead us. If I go a step further, this can mislead the Christian into thinking that our faith is a means to control the world. That our faith is like this supernatural technology, that then we, will, we have the correct way of controlling the world. And I think what distinguishes Christianity historically from other religions and ways that it is not trying to take control, but rather from the bottom up, things are changed in an organic way that is not imposed, it doesn't impose itself on the world, but rather changes hearts. Do you catch the difference? We do not rule the world. We just steward the small bit of the world entrusted to us. Praise God. Praise God. I think a lot of the anxieties we take upon ourselves is because we're trying to figure out how to control the world. So we're approaching a season of change. We're heading into the fall. Kids are going back to school. We're going into, isn't the governor's election coming up? Yep. All sorts of things that are important. Schools have become like, like I mean, talk to Sharice or to read Langdon, you know, schools are becoming like the, the hinge point of tension within our culture. Um, we need to become re-familiar with the posture of humility as we go into this. Because it's humility that refuses to control. 
It's pride that demands it. So it seems as though Jesus' followers would be very familiar with humility, for in Christ, God stooped, God served, God died at the hands of men. But the enemy is wily, he is creative, and he's constantly tempting us into being pulled into the ways of the world, tempted to control from above, domination, through legislation, through governments, even through force. The church throughout history, I mean, just oh, breaks my heart, has, has uh, baptized weapons in the name of God when our, our Lord, our King that we sang about earlier, did no such thing. So allow me to make some comments from the perspective of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, in reading James, it's apparent that the world that he was addressing, um, the church, the people, um, that they had tendencies that we do. That they wrestled with the, the things that we do. Like, for example, in James, wealth was overvalued and overemphasized. Always, you know, people will take it upon themselves thinking that God needs wealthy people to change the world, and so we should favor them. Or we should work really hard to become wealthy, and then God can use me. James has some things to say about that. Paul has some things to say about that. Jesus has some things to say about that. Also, um, people speaking more than listening. Paul or James talks about taming the tongue. Um, that's, that probably needs to be emphasized within our culture as well, within us, the church, in the middle of our culture. And there was a general misunderstanding of suffering as well. And so in the latter part of his letter, he contrasts James's the way from above, which is like the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of Jesus, the way from above, the way of God, and the way of that below, which is the kingdom of this world. So first of all, the, the wisdom from above. James says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Everybody say gentle. gentle. Willing to yield. Say it. Full of mercy. And good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. This is God's wisdom. Wisdom from above that is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. That's what Jesus is calling his followers to embody. In the kingdom of Jesus, the seemingly weak things confound the wise and the strong. King Jesus washes his disciples' feet. King Jesus is spat upon. King Jesus is beaten and scourged. King Jesus dies horrifically on the cross. That's our king, and we're invited into this way of humility. Jesus himself said this, he said, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am, what? And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We find rest when we trust the way of the suffering king, Jesus. We find great anxiety when we take on the way of the world to try to control the world and others. But the world has a different agenda, and James outlines that. Strife, pride, division, anger, malice. Have you noticed that the spirit of the age lives on? This is, I mean, this, this is the wisdom from below. This is what we're all steeped in. So James says this, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful uh, and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. This is the wisdom from below. 
envy, which is, you know, comparative and demanding our own way. Selfish ambition, which is focused on me and getting what I want. These are the things, the wisdom from below. James has a harsh word for those who get duped into this mindset and attitude. He has a really harsh word. He calls them adulterers. In other words, those who should be faithful to one but are choosing to mess around with another. He says, adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, I, in my time here on earth, (laughs) I didn't know how to introduce what I'm going to say, (laughs) in all of my days, I think that Christians see that friendship with with the world and we tend to think of moral issues, which are important. Like, you know, don't have sex outside of marriage. We tend to think of that. That's friendship with the world. That, that could, that's an aspect of it. Or it goes to some other, you know, the way things should be in a, in a moral continuum. And those things are true. But the way of the world that James is talking about is these attitudes, this friendship with the way that the world goes about life and interacting with others. It's deeply saturated with that emphasis. And I would encourage us, Friendship with the world has to do with playing along the way the world operates and works, which is full of ambition and enmity and all that stuff. So what is the antidote? James talks about humility. We read this earlier. But in James 4, but he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for you are double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Jesus himself says this, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I'd like to take the next few minutes and further define humility, because I, I... I mean, humility is one of those words, we hear it and maybe have some good ideas about it, but then we have some things that we're mixed up about it. And I just have four points about what humility is. And so if you're taking notes, you know, write these things down. Feel free to take pictures of the screen. You can edit my face out of it later, you know. (laughs) First of all, humility is not weakness, but it is anchored to God's sovereignty. It's not It's not weakness. Reinhold Niebuhr comments this. He says, modern man lacks the humility to accept the fact that the whole drama of history is enacted in a frame of meaning too large for human comprehension or management. There's a great temptation in today's world to take back what seems to be ours. Um, It is quite normal and natural for us to think that God needs to accomplish his plans in a time frame or a manner that makes sense to us. And so we take upon this anxiety for God to work according to our time frame. Have you seen the videos of Christians, mind you, screaming at school board members? Anybody seen those videos? Yep, I don't necessarily suggest it. But to see a Christian screaming the name of God at a school board because that school board is enacting policies that are counter to what that Christian thinks the scriptures would say 
just feels like, whoa, we are out of whack. Why all of this rage and this anxiety? I understand the concerns that come up, things that have to be sorted through. I understand that. But I don't think Jesus or Paul would approve of their methodology. Jesus' followers don't yell at an unbelieving world. We don't threaten an unbelieving world. We don't flex our muscles at an unbelieving world. We don't tolerate spokesmen in the name of God who defile the name of God by taking upon themselves rage and malice. That is not the way of God. But we will be tempted over and over to this. We trust God first. Our humility is anchored to God's sovereignty, trusting that we are not in control of the future. We have small responsibilities relative to the redemption of all things. And we're supposed to take those seriously, but not with anxiety, anger, rage. Paul writes from prison to the church in Philippi, and he's in prison because the empire of his day was attempting to squelch out the influence of a man who was preaching allegiance to another king, King Jesus. His encouragement is, to, is never to like overthrow Rome or to take back anything from Rome, but rather his encouragement is this. Let's read this out loud. Ready? Go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Pause. He's like in prison. Roman prisons were not nice places. All right, keep going. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to these small churches that had no political power. They had, they had no ability to change the world, to change the circumstances. But they had every ability to, with each other, depend on God and to relieve themselves of the anxiety of trying to be those that controlled the world. We will struggle with humility if we continually take the ordering of history upon our shoulders. But if we trust that God is working beyond what we can see or what seems good to us, humility will flow much more naturally. Oh, man. Okay. Number two. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself, but confidence in who God created you to be. C.S. Lewis, anybody know where he was born? Belfast, Northern Ireland. I got to visit his house that he was born in. Yeah. He says, humility is not thinking of yourself less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. It is false to think of ourselves as just dirty sinners. Rather, we are loved children. Children make messes. He's made a mess. Yeah, yeah, children make messes. Children have a lot to learn, but a good father dotes on them. This is my son, Owen, <laughs> when he was two years old. I like Facebook memories. This came up on Facebook memories. Yep, he's two years old. What a mess. Man, he had a lot to learn. I tell you what, 
He got a spanking for that. No, he didn't. <laughs> I'm proud to say that Owen is better at eating ice cream these days than he used to be. Yeah. I've taught him well. Lots of opportunities. <laughs> yeah. oh. we've, we've referenced Ephesians 2.10 quite a lot, where Paul says this about us. He says, for we, let's read this out loud. Ready? Go. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Yes, you and I, we've made messes, but we're created in the image of God and created anew in Christ Jesus. We are called to be humble, but not to hate ourselves, not to despise ourselves, but rather to embrace God, you know, created you uniquely and wonderfully. And there's things that he wants to bring into the world through you. And it's beautiful. And we can't wait to discover more of who you are as you come alive in Christ. We don't become who we're not in Christ. We become the fullest function of who we are. Oh, that's so beautiful. Humility, number three, is not withdrawal, but gentle engagement. Gentle engagement. I mean, that word gentle has come up several times. It is tempting to withdraw from our society. It's tempting not to engage with the world as it is. But God did not withdraw. Instead, he sent himself, his son, into the world. And Jesus did not make a lot of effort along the lines of controlling the world by a political means. Rather, he proclaimed and planted God's kingdom. Michael Gerson, who used to be a speechwriter for George W. Bush, he wrote an article this last week in the Washington Post, and he references the Jesus way. And I want to read this quote. I think he said it really well. I can see why he was a speechwriter. Jesus rejected the role of a political messiah. In the present age, he insisted, the kingdom of God would not be a product of Jewish nationalism. It would not arrive through militancy and violence, tactics that would contribute only to a cycle of suffering. Instead, God's kingdom would grow silently, soul by soul, among you and within you, across every barrier of nation or race, in acts of justice, peacemaking, love, inclusion, meekness, humility, and gentleness. That's also our call, to learn from him who is humble and gentle at heart. Teach us this way that does not create anxieties. We don't withdraw, but there's a particular way that we're called to engage. John Dixon has a whole book on humility called Humilitas, which is fantastic. And he says, humility is about the redirecting of your powers, whether physical, intellectual, financial, or structural, for the sake of others. It's the redirection for the sake of others. In this new season we're all moving towards, we'll have many opportunities to engage. I encourage you, be so filled with Christ that that is what people get from you. Number four, humility is not failing to speak, but it is first listening to understand and then speaking with grace. Hmm. Heard a word last week, quietism, that we're not called to quietism. 
Humility is not always just remaining quiet and passive. But I would say it suggests, particularly for those of us in America who have more power and influence in the world, and we tend to think that we have power, that we, we need to do more listening first. I think that we should all be quiet to seek to understand the other. And once we understand what the opposition is saying, we can speak respectfully. Now, maybe you've noticed too, like once you're understood, you're much more likely to like want to be influenced by someone else. Um, but if you're not being understood or valued or respected, like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to be told by someone like that. Humility isn't always quiet, but it's always respectful. I think we're called into this posture of, of humility. <clears throat> and certainly being in Northern Ireland, you know, I, I just see, and obviously, I mean, I, I'm humble towards what I say about their history because, you know, I didn't live it, I don't know it all, but you see the themes. And it's, it's a great reminder and a bit of a warning to us that seeds will grow. Let's plant seeds of humility. So while we were there, we visited the city of Derry. And Derry is a place where a lot of sectarian violence took place during the Troubles. You might have heard of Bloody Sunday. Have you heard of Bloody Sunday? It was definitely a famous U2 song. That was a song written about what happened in January of 1972 in Derry. There was a demonstration by Roman Catholic civil rights supporters. They were attempting to march peaceably for civil rights on behalf of the Catholics in that city. And it turned violent when British paratroopers opened fire, killing 13 and injuring 14 others. One of them later died, total of 14 dead. Derry has been deeply affected by the sectarian divide. Divides and deep resentments remain. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the persecuted. And so while I was there, actually before I went, I felt compelled to sing a song of blessing over that city. And uh, my daughter Jenna captured it on film. It's a song that encourages the humility of Jesus. And as we watch this together, just encourage you just to receive this blessing over us as well, because it is the path of humility following Jesus that is key for us in the age that we are living in.
I want to be a person of the kingdom. Yes, we mourn. Yes, we're broken. Yes, there's rampant unfairness and evil abounding. But in Christ, in union with him, we're given the strength to even receive flourishing in the midst of chaos. And I think us Jesus followers are called just to that. Father, Son, and Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen us for this next season of time. Each one of us, that you would do a deep and profound work within our hearts so that we're able to posture ourselves appropriately for the age that we live in and that we live through. Lord, help us to be people that are so infused with your love 
that we have boundless love to give to a broken world. Teach us that way. Teach us, teacher who is humble and gentle at heart. Teach us the way of not controlling the future, but trusting you. We need your help. Let's stand together and we're gonna read a prayer of confession as we do every week. And I would guess, I know for me there is, I would guess for you there's probably some things that come to mind where you've enacted pride rather than humility and maybe just allow the Lord to heal that right now. Let's say this together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I admit that I have been wrong in thought, in motive, and in action. Let's continue. It is only by your grace that I can be freed from my guilty conscience. Please forgive me. Help me to live purely today. Thank you. Amen. We're going to receive communion as we do each week. The body and blood of Jesus broken and spilled for us so that we'd be reminded over and over and over that he suffered on our behalf. And so then we can be strengthened to live into any kind of suffering that we endure. He's indeed with us. So James and Andrea and Mike are going to pass out communion. Come whenever you're ready. They'll uh, speak a blessing over you and partake whenever uh, you're ready. And then we'll conclude with a song.